Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ever since Keir Starmer became Labour leader, he's had one urgent priority. To show voters that he's weeded out all traces of anti-Semitism from the party. It was a plan that was going well until October the 7th. Israelis woke up today to find their worst nightmares had come true in the form of a massive surprise attack by Palestinian militants in Gaza into the south of this country. As we speak, Palestinian gunmen are inside Israeli towns and cities, and they are fighting running gun battles against Israeli forces trying to regain control. When Hamas's attack on Israel and Israel's subsequent war on Gaza laid bare splits within the party. Israel has a right to go and get those hostages. It has a right to degrade the military equipment and rockets that have been used against it to deal with the tunneling of Hamas. History has shown us that military actions alone do not resolve conflicts. And Israelis' use of force will not resolve this one. We need a full and immediate ceasefire now. For months now, Keir Starmer has been walking a tightrope between trying to show support for Israel without alienating Muslim voters. For me, this isn't about the particular position taken by individuals within the Labour Party. It's about alleviating that suffering. And just at the moment, we desperately need humanitarian aid to get in faster into Gaza. Yesterday, faced with another potentially embarrassing rebellion by his own MPs, Keir Starmer finally called for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. His reluctance to do it earlier had brought the Labour Party to the brink of civil war and left it in the awkward position of being outflanked by the Tories. We've always said is we believe in a two-state solution, a secure Israel within its borders and a secure and stable Palestine within its borders. That's long been our position. Can Keir Starmer, the man the polls believe will be the next prime minister, see off another rebellion tonight? And could the war in Israel cost Labour the next election? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Labour's Gaza problem. I'm Jerry Scott, and I am the senior political correspondent for Times' political team in Westminster. Jerry, Keir Starmer finds himself really between a rock and a hard place here. For him, it feels like ever since October the 7th, his political life has 
has suddenly been turned upside down. Take us back and just just remind us of his reaction to the war in Gaza, you know, which has caused ripples of discontent across his party. So what we saw is that that October 7th attack came very, very close to Labour Party conference last year. And Keir Starmer wanted to come out strongly at that conference and not use it, because that sounds cynical, but show at that particular point how much the party had changed from the Corbyn years. He wanted to draw a line and say, look, this is how a Labour Party led by me will deal with this kind of thing. So he came out very, very supportive of of Israel and saying that Israel has the right to defend itself and that Labour backed that. This party believes in the two-state solution, a Palestinian state alongside a safe and secure Israel. But this action by Hamas does nothing for Palestinians and Israel must always have the right to defend her people. It caused quite a lot of tension at conference with MPs in his party, particularly on the left. You had some MPs photographed, for example, at a Saul for the Palestinian Solidarity campaign, who have previously said that Israel is undertaking apartheid and things like that. Shadow Minister had to apologise for posing for a photograph at that stall. There were all kinds of flashpoints there. And where it really came to a head was soon after when essentially he started receiving calls to back Mm. a ceasefire and say that that should happen. Some very senior figures in his party had called for that ceasefire. Anna Sawa, the Scottish Labour leader, Andy Burnham, Sadiq Khan had all piled that pressure on. I joined the international community in calling for a ceasefire. It would stop the killing and would allow vital aid supplies to reach those who need it in Gaza. In the end, what he ended up doing when it came to a vote in Parliament is actually making that a confidence issue. And he lost, or what was it in the end, eight front benches and two shadow PPSs. There, there's a bit of debate whether you count those as front benches or not, but who had to resign or were sacked because they ended up voting to back a ceasefire. Mm. And that was a real moment. A lot of this is about international law. Keir Starmer is always banging the drum about the fact that he is a lawyer A lot of this sort of started to come unstuck in an interview he did with LBC. It was, I think it's fair to say, a disastrous interview made worse by the disastrous comms that came after it. So what happened is the interviewer, who was Nick Ferrari, I believe, was saying, you know, about these these reports that we were hearing that Israel was cutting off water supplies to Gaza. And what that appeared to be was that he was saying that Israel did have the right to cut off water and power supplies. I think that Israel does have that right. It is an ongoing situation. What we now understand to have happened, or at least what Labour says has happened, was that Keir Starmer was answering a previous question. I'm very clear. Israel must have that, does have that right to defend herself. Um, And Hamas bears responsibility. A siege is appropriate, cutting off power, cutting off water. I think that Israel does have that right. It is an ongoing situation. Now, the party is adamant that that is not what he meant, but it's very difficult to argue against that when that is what the clip shows. Mm. Now, you can contain that quite 
I was going to say easily, maybe not easily, but you can contain it by acting swiftly afterwards to clarify what you meant. But what actually happened is hours and hours and days actually passed mm. before the party's machine started pushing back at that and saying, no, this is not what he meant. And by that point, that clip had been, you know, shared around community WhatsApp groups and put on social media and being shared on Telegram. And actually, by that point, it was too late. And this is really what sparked the massive problem he has now because it's kind of too late to row back on that. People already think that that is what he said, even if he didn't say it. You know, the, a, a lie travels way faster than the truth. It's as simple as that. And for him, a lot of his determination to be seen defending Israel in all of this does come from the problems he inherited mm. when he became party leader. I mean, just remind us of what he was battling at the start. Under Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party was not a safe place to be a Jewish person. It's as simple as that. And you see that from figures like Louise Elman or Luciana Berger, who left the party. They said, I cannot be a member of this party, whilst complaints of anti-Semitism essentially go uninvestigated or unpunished. I cannot remain in a party that I have today come to the sickening conclusion is institutionally anti-Semitic. The leadership has willfully and repeatedly failed to address hatred against Jewish people within its ranks. You had massive reports into anti-Semitism in Labour that showed that it had occurred and it wasn't being dealt with properly. And Starmer's position was, when he became leader, that he was going to root it out. It almost became an obsession for him. And, you know, I'm not saying that in a negative way. It was the number one thing he wanted to do. And last year we had a big kind of press conference where he welcomed those MPs that had left back into the party. And it was kind of a crowning glory moment where he said, The Labour Party has changed. Um, and uh, that and the Commission would not have signed off today if they didn't think it was fundamental and substantial. Um, and so wherever there is anti-Semitism, we will chase it down and we will deal with it in the same robust way as we've done over the last two to three years. And because he had to be so public with it, he's basically told the world and the press and the media to judge him on his success in weeding out anti-Semitism. That's right. And I think that understandably means that the party machine, the disciplinary processes are very, maybe the word isn't twitchy, but reactive to allegations like this, which they should be. Things should happen quickly and things should happen in, in the correct manner. But there are concerns that it's maybe gone too far the other way in that mm. we now get maybe knee-jerk reactions and quick decisions that potentially aren't examined in the way that they might be. Talk us through that, because there is a sense that this now has become an overcorrection. You know, you've got MPs within Labour who are seeing the images of what's happening in Gaza coming out, who sort of see a humanitarian disaster, who might want to call for a ceasefire for very legitimate reasons based on the humanitarian you know, horrors that they're sort of seeing coming out of the region. But now there's almost a risk that you're being seen as anti-Semitic for criticising the Israeli government for their behaviour. That's right. And actually, Louise Elman was asked about this and I thought she gave a very interesting answer where she said, Of course I understand the uh, problems and the horrors being experienced by civilians in Gaza as the Israelis try to deal with Hamas. It's not an anti-Semitic thing to do. It, it, it's an opinion. It's when you start kind of criticising the concept of Zionism, for example, that it tips over. I think it's when you start talking about Israel or Zionism, which is a view, a, a wish to have 
the Jewish homeland as something inherently evil in itself or racist in its essence. That is where it crosses a very clear line. And I think that if there is a fear that the bar has been lowered to an extent, that if the Israeli government is found to have broken international law, basically you can't talk about that. You can't say that until it is ruled. And, you know, MPs find that very uncomfortable, especially when they're coming under pressure from constituents, from campaigners. And as you say, seeing a lot of the really disturbing images that we are seeing coming out of Gaza at the moment. So I think he is in a very, very tricky position. And I think there is definitely a fear, a concern, that especially with some of these cases, the trigger might have been pulled a little bit too quickly. And Jerry, this weekend, Scottish Labour, at their conference, created an even bigger headache for Keir Starmer, really, by backing a new SNP motion for a ceasefire, which the Scottish Labour leader, Anna Sawa, described as being perfectly reasonable. And I imagine many of his colleagues will agree. For Keir Starmer, how is he coping with that departure from the official party line? And how is he trying to win them over? It was never a surprise that this happened at the Scottish Labour conference. Anna Sawa, the Scottish Labour leader, has been one of the big proponents of an immediate ceasefire. He came out previously when we had those previous uh, votes. So it wasn't a surprise, but what it does mean is that it puts Starmer in an even more tricky position when senior members of his party, like Anasawa, are making these claims. And, you know, what we saw actually was a, I wouldn't quite call it a leap in Starmer's position, but a nudge, a nudge along at that conference because of that vote. And it really does pile pressure on him to, to make more of a move. And tell us about that nudge, because his language hasn't changed all that much, but it does feel like there is a tonal shift away from completely backing Israel. That's right. I mean, what he said, there needs to be a permanent ceasefire. An end to the fighting, not just now, not just for a pause, but permanently. A ceasefire that lasts, conference, that is what must happen now. The fighting must stop now. He maintains the fact that that ceasefire must involve both sides. That is in his position throughout. But what what we have kind of seen a bit of movement on is he has become more willing to criticise Israel's actions. The offensive threatened on Rafa, a place where one and a half million people are now cramped together in unimaginable conditions with nowhere else for them to go. That offensive cannot happen. Whether that is kind of its actions in, in Gaza or actually what he set out is that any ceasefire and that goes forward must involve a two-state solution and the acceptance of a two-state solution. And even in these most terrible of circumstances, the two-state solution must be back on the table. And we've also heard from sort of senior figures around Starmer. We've heard from the Shadow Foreign Secretary, David Lammy, the Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting, coming out, really criticising the idea of Israel moving into Rafa in particular. This seems to be the, the red line. Um, the Americans have said as much. It looks like Labour is sort of piling in behind them. 
and what you have seen from Labour in recent weeks and months has been a, an escalation of both the language we have we have used and the condemnation we have used of the disproportionate number of civilian casualties and the way in which Israel has conducted itself during this war. And Jerry, this is all going to come to a head again. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this is the SNP who have consistently called for a ceasefire. They're forcing an opposition day debate, which will essentially force again MPs to say if they back a ceasefire or not. Now, last time this happened, Labour put forward its own amendment, which was worded in a way that it was comfortable with and said to its MPs, look, no, abstain on the SNP one, back this one instead. We understand your concerns. And Jerry, could all of that now come to a head because Keir Starmer is facing another SNP motion later today. Just tell us what that motion is calling for and and how you think it's likely to go down. Yeah, that's right. And look, the SNP motion is pretty much the same as the one that we had previously calling for that immediate ceasefire. And it is going to put a lot of pressure on Labour frontbenchers, on Labour MPs. Now, what we've seen the Labour Party do is try and stave that off with its own version, its own amendment. But of course, that doesn't go as far as the SNP's version. So let's see. And just talk us through the difference between the two motions, because this did feel like a bit of a panic from Keir Starmer yesterday. For the first time, he's talking about an immediate ceasefire. He says an immediate humanitarian ceasefire, and it needs to be both sided. He wants the hostages to be released by Hamas, but it's the first time he's gone that far. What is the the motion that Labour is now tabling, and how different is it to the SNP one? What what will Labour MPs have to choose between? Yeah, well, look, so this is the thing you mentioned there, those, those caveats. You're right that it is the first time that Keir Starmer has said the word immediate um, and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, that is a nudge along. That's the way I would describe it. But the caveats that have been put in, you know, the fact that most both sides must lay down arms, that Hamas must not be in control of Gaza, essentially means that they haven't moved any further than they already were because Hamas is not going to put down their weapons. They have already said that they would want to do another October 7th style attack. So whilst it might give those Labour MPs who are wavering somewhere to vote, it really doesn't go as far as that SNP motion. So where will that leave Labour MPs who have wanted a ceasefire? They finally have their own party calling for one, but obviously with various caveats. Do you think a lot of them will still want to vote for the SNP motion today? Well, they might want to. But the fact that Labour has presented them with an alternative that is potentially palatable, that they can point to for their constituents and in their constituencies, may give them not a not a get-out clause, that's not quite what I mean, but, you know, a way that they can abstain on that SNP vote, but still say to their constituents, look, this is what I support, this is actually what the Labour Party supports. And by staying in the tent and making my voice known, I am nudging the party leadership towards a position that I think is better. So I think that's probably the decision I'll be making. So last time in November, at the last SNP motion, we saw a huge Labour rebellion. We saw 56 MPs voting against the whip. Do you think we'll get anywhere near there this time round? No, but what should we be proved wrong? I'm not a betting woman. But no, look, I don't think we will um, because I think there has been significant changes and I think people will recognise that. Coming up, the war in Gaza is causing Keir Starmer trouble at Westminster, but could it also cost him the next election? That's in just a moment. 
This weekend, if you're a Times subscriber, you can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom, our look at life here at the Times. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts just for subscribers on the Stories of Our Times feed. If you want to find out more, visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My name is Ryan Watts. I'm the data editor for The Times. So I run a small team that builds charts, graphics, and does data journalism for the newsroom. So we try and find stories in spreadsheets, essentially. Ryan, you've been looking at the issue of Muslim voters for Labour. And, you know, now that we know that many of them are not happy with Labour's policy on Gaza, give us a sense, firstly, how significant is the Muslim vote for Labour? There was a poll uh, earlier this year by Servation who did a survey for the Labour Muslim Network. They polled 682 British Muslims and found that 60% intended to vote for Labour at the next general election. So that's compared to 8% for Conservatives. Wow. So we have comparable data from a similar Servation poll in 2021 and that found that 86% of Muslims recalled that they'd vote for Labour. But it was a significant drop. And you and your team did this whole analysis for The Times, basically trying to work out how this might play out at the next election. So if we know that part of the Muslim vote is very angry with Labour's policy, they're turning away from Labour, could this change the results of the next election? How did you carry out the the piece of work you did? And what did you find? All we wanted to do was there was a hypothesis that Labour support was dropping. So we wanted to apply the same 26 percentage point drop, so the 86 minus the 60. We wanted to apply that to every constituency, essentially, and work out, if we could, how many constituencies would Keir Starmer lose. So we took the latest MRP poll, which YouGov did earlier this year. So an MRP poll is essentially a large poll of about 14,000 voters, I think, this time, a large national poll. And then they use modelling, essentially, to apply that to every seat to work out, based on their demographics and how they voted in previous elections, Mm. how they're expected to vote this time. Basically applying the 26 percentage point drop to that poll and then looking at the numbers of Muslim voters in each constituency based on census data, we came up with a figure for each seat, basically, how many Muslim voters we expect each seat to lose. So we applied that to the majority that we got from the MRP poll. And essentially, the outcome is that it's not going to make a massive dent in Keir Starmer's electoral fortunes, really. We found that only eight seats, really, would be flipped by such a drop in the Muslim vote. 
Wow, that's despite the panic and, you know, the the very loud criticisms we're hearing, but also the pressure that Labour MPs feel they're under from their own constituents. You still don't think it would actually change? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very rough estimate. I mean, there's, there's certain caveats, basically, that we, you, we wouldn't expect all Muslims to vote the same way in every seat. There'll be local issues that mean they won't vote yeah. a certain way. Essentially, it's all based on the number of Muslims in each seat as well. So we found that the 26 percentage point drop in a strong Muslim seat with a large Muslim population, they're expected to have a high majority, a Labour majority there anyway. It's more kind of marginal seats where it's just tipped over in the maths, essentially. So the seats that we had were places like Aylesbury, Banbury, Kettering and Romford. They're just small Labour majorities anyway Uh. that could be flipped by that change in the Muslim vote. So it won't cost them next election, it'll just cost them a bit of support. A couple of seats, but the MRP poll we used is expecting a Labour majority of over 120 seats. So, yeah, it's a drop in the water, really. Seats with majorities of up to 15,000 in Muslim areas could be put at risk by basically Starmer's stance. And that seats like Jess Phillips's, she got a 10,000-odd majority in 2019 that you could see at risk. And you can draw a basically straight line between the constituencies that we have identified as being at risk and the people who consistently appear on these potential rebels list. You know, Naz Shah in Bradford West, Rashandra Ali in Bethnal Green and Bow, Imran Hussein in Bradford East, Afzal Khan in Manchester Gorton, Sarah Owen in Luton North. I could go on, but, you know, these are the people that you need to keep an eye on because they're coming under a lot of pressure. You used to be based in Yorkshire, Mm. where the Muslim vote is quite significant in by-elections. We've seen that happen in the past. Just talk us through how that plays out. So I used to be the Westminster correspondent for the Yorkshire Post. The kind of tensions that can run high in seats where candidates are fighting over the Muslim vote, I mean, it it can be pretty scary at times. If you look at Bradford West, where Naz Shah is the MP, she's beaten... George Galloway, she beat him in the 2015 general election. But before that, he won the 2012 by-election. And these are messy, dirty, personal campaigns. I saw that in Bradford West. Naz Shah has faced awful, awful abuse from inside and outside the community for various stances that she has. We also saw this in the Batley and Spen by-election when um, Kim Ledley to Joe Cox's sister was elected. George Galloway again was there and it was a very almost violent at times campaign. You know, she was shouted at in the street and abused and, you know, with the context of that seat and Joe Cox being murdered, that's very, very scary. We're already getting a hint of how the issue of Gaza might change the face of the next election too. I mean, where's Streeting, one of the, the biggest characters on the Labour front bench, is facing a challenge in in his own constituency because of this issue. Just talk us through that. He is, and you've seen posters go up with uh, Labour branding, obviously not official, that say vote for genocide, vote Labour on them in West Streeting's constituency. As you say, he's he's facing a challenge from a candidate who essentially says, you know, they back a ceasefire, West Streeting doesn't. This issue isn't going to go away before voters go to the polls, and it could have a really significant impact. And over the last few years, we've sort of seen political parties change a lot. We've seen their support change a lot. You know, you Mm. had the Red Wall suddenly starting to vote Tory for the first time. Could this be the moment that Labour 
loses the Muslim vote for good? Is it, could this be the moment where they don't come back? I think there is a chance of that. I wasn't around in political reporting at the time, but from people that I've spoken to, they believe that happened to an extent with Iraq, for example, and that those voters didn't necessarily come back in the way that they would have wanted them to. I think there is a fear and a chance that the voters they've lost now may not come back. I think it will take a lot of community cohesion building. It'll take a lot of work to convince those voters that Labour is on their side. And whether that can be done will really be the measure of how successful Starmer and the party are at, at keeping those voters. But, you know, he does still have key people in the tent who are backing him. Take Shabana Mahmood, for example, the Shadow Justice Secretary. She's only recently done an interview about how difficult she finds this issue, that she would like to see a ceasefire, but still is pushing the message that, you know, Starmer is the best person for Labour and the country. I think that there has been a sense of a loss of trust and I think that that needs to be rebuilt. Um, Again, that's something that we are all very cognizant of uh, and want to make sure we put that right. We aspire to be a party that can get votes from every part of our country and every community in our country. I don't think all is lost, but God is tricky. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, senior political correspondent for The Times, Jerry Scott, and Times data editor, Ryan Watts. You can follow the twists and turns of this story and the results of that SMP motion at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. And for more on Labour, why not have a listen back to our episode on Keir Starmer's Blairite Playbook? We'll put a link to it in the description notes. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer was Fiona Leach. And sound design was by Mao Lissetto. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 